God, my wife, my three daughters, my grandson, my son-in-law, and then right next is Gary Gadini. <laughs> so much so that I actually have hair, but I've cut my hair to make it look like him. <laughs> We're going to talk about hope that moves. I get the job to talk about relationships, whether you're married not or not. Uh, relationships are complicated, and uh, they're confusing. For those of you who are married, you're going to think I'm talking about your marriage. If you're not married, you're also going to think I'm talking about your life with relationships because we all have relationships. There was a husband and a wife, and they were a little bit older, and they needed to go to the doctor because the husband wasn't feeling good. And he walked into the doctor's office. They took him right away. The wife sat in the waiting room for an hour and a half. Now, that was a long, long wait. That means that he was in the doctor's office, uh, and what was happening was poked, prodded, took blood samples, urine, lots of questions, goes to another patient, comes back, keeps doing this for an hour and a half. Finally, the woman starts to get up to say, you know, is my husband okay? And the doctor opens the door instead of somebody else and says, you know, can you come with me? With kind of a tough look on his face. And so he ushers her into his office while she sees her husband leaving to sit in the waiting room. And the doctor sits down and says, your husband is severely ill. And I'm afraid that if you do not do exactly what I tell you to do in the next uh, 10 to 12 months, I'm afraid your husband is going to die. You know, to hear that. So what I want you to do is I want you to cook him a warm breakfast every day. I know you both work, and, uh, but he says that he's been eating cereal, and that's not really that good for him, so I want you to cook him a warm breakfast. He said he likes omelets, so if you could do that. Of course, she's going, okay. Um, and, you know, I know there's still kids in the house, so uh, you're going to have to do all the discipline of the kids and let your husband play with the kids. You know, he says he loves being with the kids, but I don't want any more pressure or stress because I think it's causing this severe illness that he's got. And, uh, and then one other thing, no nagging or negativity whatsoever. And if you don't do that, then you're going to be fine. And, and actually, one other thing. He said, with kind of a gleam in his eye, the doctor looked at the, you know, the wife and said, now, I just want you to please his every whim. She's like, oh, my goodness, okay. So they walk out, and he said, as they were walking to the door, now, if you do those things, I think he'll be healed, and in 10 to 12 months, you can go back to whatever you're doing. But, you know, it's, he, he needs that. They get in the car, and the husband says, I think he thinks I'm really sick. I mean, he didn't tell me, but he just asked questions, and he poked and prodded. What did he say to you? She's looking out the window. You're going to die. <laughs> Relationships die if we're not intentional. Let me say that again. Relationships die if we're not intentional. But the interesting side to it is if we're intentional, they seem to work okay, whether you're married or not, whether... Uh, as I mentioned, re relationships are complicated because life is complicated. I mean, who thinks that a relationship is going to work super easy? I mean, Kathy and I did, and you know, our marriage has lasted 42 years. We're, we're planning on it going much longer. Um, when we had kids, we thought it was going to be easy. It was not easy. Um, we have extended family that has some weirdness out there, and that makes the relationships even more unique. And frankly, when it comes to relationships, many of us were taught... Uh, right by some pretty incredible parents or some pretty incredible people. Most of us weren't. Some of us are lazy about you know, relationships and some of us are not. But I want to share that scripture that the choir so did so well. Oh my goodness. And I want to share this. And now this is probably a scripture that for some of you, if you were married or ever married, you had the scripture perhaps even read at your, your wedding, but it's not just a marriage scripture. And I'm going to show you what I mean when we look at this. Pretty incredible scripture, Jesus said, haven't you read? 
um, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then what you hear at weddings so often is, so they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So what does a healthy relationship look like? You know, that's a question that I have had because I didn't come from a home where there was that much of a healthy relationship. My mom and dad stayed together. My dad was an alcoholic. He wasn't a bad guy. He was a functioning alcoholic. Only 5 to 10% make it to, you know, skid row. Most of them do okay, but they don't do relationships well. So what does a healthy relationship look like? Well, I want to take apart this scripture and have some comments, and some of it you're going to be surprised at. The first one, in Matthew 19:5, the first part of it anyway, says... For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. Now, that's a marriage issue, and united, the word in Greek means to bond. They will be bonded. But how do you bond with your children? How do you bond with your grandchildren? Well, the first point might surprise you, but I think it's you have serious fun. Let me say it again. You have serious fun. Some of you are a little bit older, and you say, you know, uh, we're, we're too old for that. No, you're not. And the fact is, when Kathy and I want to connect... We don't connect well when we're, you know, sitting in bed talking about a relationship at 1130 at night when I really want to go to sleep and she wants to keep talking about it. We connect when we do need things. We just had an anniversary. We drove, I live in Southern California, we drove up to Cambria where that was the second night of our honeymoon. We drove up to Cambria and we had some long walks on the beach and we had wonderful food and we had romance and it was just a great time. And guess what we did? We connected because we had fun. So my daughter, Heidi who actually was a part of this church for a bit. She lives in San Francisco, and when she was in high school, she loved babysitting because she wanted to make money, and I was amazed how much people would pay her to babysit. And uh, anyway, Heidi one day comes home, and Kathy and I were doing bills. I don't know about you, but if you ever have to do bills, we were doing bills at the table, and that's just not our fun time, okay? And, and we're having this kind of intense conversation about bills and what to do with all this, and Heidi bounces in because that's who she is and she sits down at the table and she says I love Scott and I love Anita those were the couple that was a couple that she was babysitting for they have four kids and I love their kids and they're amazing but I had no idea dad mom you were the youth pastors for Scott and Anita and dad you married Scott and Anita I didn't know that but you know they told me something else they said that when you guys were the youth pastors you guys were fun She didn't say the next sentence, but I read her mind. What happened to you? <laughs> I actually went to the CVS the next day. I don't know why I was there, and there was a little sign that said, are we having fun yet? And I actually bought it and put it on the refrigerator, and it's still there. To have a good relationship, you've got to have serious fun. Now, you can't be all fun because life has struggles. In this room, there are people who have illness. There are people who have frustrations. There are people who have deep disappointment with perhaps even some of you who are older, your adult children who maybe don't walk with God. I mean, there are frustrations, but the fact of the matter is, is we have to have fun. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs 17:22, a cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. Now, I don't know about you, but I can go to the crushed spirit fairly easy. But it has to be intentional about having fun. So when I said relationships are intentional, it's also I choose fun. I choose to do things that will be more fun. Now, again, you don't have to be funny. You don't have to be outgoing. You don't have to tell a good joke. But whatever you define fun as is something that will bring people together. I said at the marriage conference that words don't always connect, but connection causes you to have good words. And so do, we, do you have enough connection with your loved ones or 
whoever in terms of somebody that you want to have a relationship with. Now, like I said, obviously there are things that get thrown at us. I mean, there is pain and sorrow in life, and I am not saying you ignore that, but I am saying that laughter is good medicine. How many of you have a relationship with a four-year-old or thereabout, maybe for some of you it's a grandchild in this service, or somebody, anybody know a four-year-old? Look at all these hands go up. That's the age where kids laugh the most. You know how many times they laugh? Over 400 times a day. Oh, to be a four-year-old. You know how many times you laugh? 15. Now, I realize you have a little more pressure than the four-year-old has. But again, what laughter and, and, and joy and fun does is it actually opens up closed spirits. I wrote a book called Ten Building Blocks to a Happy Family. It's actually one of my favorite books I ever wrote. It's on traits of healthy family. I was trying to figure out what does a healthy family look like. You know what one of the number one, number two, number three trait would be? Play. Play. So again, a four-year-old plays, and we don't play, but we still can play. Play and fun is an important factor. Play, using humor, having fun. It, it, it builds lifelong traditions for a family. It, it actually opens up closed spirits, like I said. It heals broken marriages. Play reduces stress. Play builds memories. See, play is what I call a love currency. Having fun is a love currency that makes a deposit into a marriage or makes them deposit into your children or makes them deposit into somebody that you work with or whatever it might be. But we get busy with our life and we get busy with our work and we get busy with our kids and we just let play and laughter aside because we're so intense and we're worried about what's going on and we're worried and, and, and we have to have concerns about the world. Again, please don't think that I'm saying it's all Pollyanna. I'm just simply saying maybe we need to look at something and say how is the fun factor? I, I actually love what Leonard Sweet said. He said, this is talking about marriage. For a marriage to sing and dance, for two people to make beautiful music together, they need to play, not work at their marriage. Now, again, we need to work at marriage. People did this here in this room this weekend. But we also need to play in our marriage. And so a, a question, I'll meddle in your life for a minute. minute. Do, do you have enough fun in your relationships? And pretty much I can tell you by just the way you answer that question how you're doing in a relationship. Okay. Do you have enough fun in your relationships? And if not, what can you do to have more fun? Because again, the scripture says that you unite. A man and a woman come together and they unite in marriage. And part of the uniting is having fun. And we don't think probably enough about it or we probably don't talk enough about it in the church. See, But you know, if you go down to the children's ministry, you hear screams and shrieks and kids playing. They're having fun and they have a pretty good life. See, I'm not saying that we should do shrieking and screaming here, Gary. Okay. <laughs> This service might. I know you said this was your favorite service, but I'm not sure that they're going to scream and shriek. But the fact, again, is, is that we need to have serious fun. That's how you bond with somebody. There are other ways to bond, of course, but that's the one I'm choosing today. Are you working on a friendship if you're married with your spouse? You know, I do some premarital work. I wrote a book called Getting Ready for Marriage, and it's a book that churches use to help uh, pre-marriage couples. And they have fun. <laughs> Okay, and, and, and they actually kind of do it right because they're enjoying each other. I, I say that they're on drugs because you can't really tell them that it's going to get harder because they don't think so because it's like their brain is on drugs before they get married. Six months afterwards, they come and see me, and it's a different story. <laughs> but the interesting side to that is they are good. They, they will always say, we are best friends. But what happens when I do some marriage counseling, they'll say, we're not friends anymore. So part of the fun factor is, is also developing Friendships. John Gottman, who is really the research person, expert in the world of marriage, 
I think this relates on a lot of levels, not just if you're married, but it says the determining factor whether a couple feels satisfied with sex, romance, and passion in their marriage is the quality of the couple's friendship. Isn't that interesting? Well, having serious fun is something that you might want to initiate if it's not on your to-do list anymore. Secondly is communication. Communication is a key. Actually, from this stage on Friday and Saturday night, we talked a lot about, or Saturday day, we talked a lot about communication. And of course, 86%, I said, uh, some, another study that I quoted said 86% of marriages that derail, get divorced or whatever, they say the number one reason, 86% of them would say it's because of poor communication. But when it comes to your relationships with anybody, I'm not just talking about marriage communication here, good communication is the lifeblood of a relationship. What I was telling the people the other day is that communication is a learned trait. And I don't care how old you are, you can still learn to be a more effective communicator. It's the key that unlocks the door to successful marriage. It's the key that really is the healthy way of breeding Family health, poor communication, breaks apart relationships. Just, it's, that, it's that simple. I don't mean to oversimplify it, but it is. I had mentioned that I finished this book called Getting Ready for Marriage, and I was sitting at the kitchen table, and I, just, I was talking to Kathy about some of the research that I had done on it, and I said, do you know the average couple has 326 conflicts a year? Kathy looked at me and said, that's all? <laughs> so part of having good communication is actually dealing with conflict in a more powerful way. I heard John Ortberg say from this stand yesterday that, that conflict brings good communication sometimes. And you can't have an intimate relationship if there is not conflict. I know I thought when I first got married that you know, conflict was bad, but I don't think it really is bad. And communication takes work, and it takes focus, and it takes some time and effort. And I think it takes God's help on it. The Scripture says, and the two will become one flesh. See? And again, that's a marriage issue, and it goes on. That has sexuality involved in it. That has spirituality. But the reality is, is that if you want to get draw closer to somebody, you're going to have to communicate. And I can communicate. I can communicate. Have an incredible experience with Gary, and it's not the same experience I'm going to have with my wife on that level. But I can have a, a communication by us becoming one. But we're going to have to be able to communicate. Now, how many of you are dog people? How many of you like dogs? Oh my gosh, are there any cat people in here? Okay, we're going to stop and pray for these people right now. I don't understand. I, don't, I just don't understand you. I say that teenagers, I wrote a book called Teenology, and I say in it that teenagers are like cats and not like dogs. Because dogs, you know, our golden retriever comes up and licks us to death and loves us. And, you know, at any time, our cat just kind of slinks around and waits, you know, and then, like, leaves and then pouts and, you know, things like that. But dogs, if you're a dog person and you have a dog, here's the latest uh, statistics. Uh, zero minutes a day walking, the dog is what 13% of the American culture does. Okay? You, don't, you don't walk your dog at all, 13%. One to 19 minutes, 24%. Okay? So you're spending one to 19 minutes. 20 to 39 minutes would be 41% of the American population who has a dog. That's incredible. You're spending you know, 20 to 39. Now, 40 minutes is 23%. So what it's saying is that the American culture spends more time walking their dogs than they do communicating with their loved ones. <laughs> Average father spends three to seven minutes with their kids in a good communication, but a couple only spends about that much in what they would call good communication. So we actually are spending more time with our, our dogs. Okay, Marriage experts tell us that we've got to be intentional about communicating. 
And we've got to be able to deal with the conflict. So I want to teach you a dance. I know this service probably dances all the time, but I'm going to teach you the negative conflict dance and the positive conflict dance, and you don't have to stand and you don't have to have any rhythm to do this. The negative conflict dance says this. You start with tension. And, and actually, tension is not bad because tension produces either something negative or it produces something called intimacy. Intimacy, I wrote a book called Creating an Intimate Marriage, and that means creating a, a connected marriage. Okay. So you start with tension where there's some friction, problems, pain, misunderstanding. Every one of us in here have that. I had that this morning. Okay. So then you move to defensiveness. This is the negative dance side. So if this is you, you're probably doing it wrong and you want to learn to communicate a little bit more clearly. So defensiveness is what I call the wrong path of conflict. But look at this. We blame, we get anger, we control, we use eye language, we attack. And that quickly comes into even more attacking, attacking by when you're defensive and, and, you're, and you're doing the blame game, then it moves to disconnect. And so now in a relationship, you're somewhat disconnected. You're emotionally withdrawing. That's what Kathy says to me. She goes, you're crawling into your cave. And I don't know about any of you men, but you know, that's a lot of men do that. Okay? So we just kind of emotionally withdraw. Avoidance. Oh, I love to. I actually do all of these. Avoidance. Pouting. Acting or feeling superior. So when you've done any of those things in any relationship, it could be with your kids, it could be with a spouse, it could be with your friends, it could be at work, whatever it is, then you're going to go to detached. And detached means that now in the relationship you experience some bitterness, resentment, perhaps contempt, loneliness. Your issues are unresolved. There's kind of a fighting and a deadness. So now in the relationship you have a deadness. You could be married for 50 years and have a deadness in the relationship because you have been doing this conflict thing wrong. You're not uniting. You're not one, as Jesus said in the scripture. The result is deeper tension and oftentimes regret in a lot of relationships. So that's obviously not the way to go. Is there a positive way to do conflict? I think there is. And in fact, sometimes it has to do with just the way we use words. Here, let me show you this video. I wrote the same, but in different words. Thanks, love. I wrote the same, just different words. 
And so some of us have perhaps been going about conflict wrong. Conflict's not bad. It's just that we take it into the negative, the path of defensiveness, as opposed to the path of us learning how to do this in a more effective way. And so I want to show you the positive conflict dance. Notice that when we show it, we start with tension. You know, we're not taking tension away. Life has tension in relationships. But you start with tension, friction, problem, pain, and misunderstanding. You saw that in the other one. Then it goes to we, where we assume responsibility. We work together to resolve the issue. I was in a relationship the other day where I was talking with a couple who was in a relationship. I said, who's the enemy in this relationship? And they both went, he is, she is. Okay. So what they were doing was playing the blame game, and they'd been doing the negative conflict dance for a long time. I said, this sounds really awkward, but they were sitting one in a chair and one in my couch in my office. And I said, I want you both to sit on the couch, and we're going to pretend that this water bottle is the problem. So now the water bottle, the, the problem is not her or you. I was talking to the man because he was doing most of the talking. I said, the problem is here. So what we want to do is we want to figure out how to resolve the problem as a we. Because if you win an argument, you lose the battle. If you lose the argument, then you feel anger and bitterness and resentment. So how do we make it a we? Now, with Kathy and I, we actually have to, at times, decide to actually agree to disagree because we're really different on things. Like money. Oh, my gosh, are we different. We got married, like I said, 42 years ago, and my father did all the finances, and my mother didn't probably know how to write a check for a checkbook. And she's a lovely lady, but, you know, that wasn't her gig. Kathy's mom did all the finances and gave her dad, you know, like $20 for, you know, the month, I think is what it was. The funniest thing is he got older, he would show me he had, you know, money stashed away in his wallet. They said he had hidden from his wife. They were married for like 50 years, but he, he had figured out somehow how to do this. Okay, I'm not saying that's the best idea, but, you know, you do what you got to do. Uh, so Kathy thought she should do it. Now, Kathy's a detailed person. I'm not. So one night, first year of marriage, I'm... Um, I'm sleeping in our studio apartment, which means if there was light on in the kitchen, you could, it was bedroom was, there was not even a door. So, you know, we're so close, it's really tight. And I wake up, it's about 1.30 in the morning, and Kathy is at the table. I'm thinking, why is she not in bed? She worked with, uh, with kids who had severe uh, mental uh, issues, and she had to be at work at 5.30, and why, why was she up? So I walked in, kind of concerned about her. I said, Kathy, what are you doing? She goes, I'm trying to balance this checkbook. And again, now when I'm in a balance of checkbook, it would go to the nearest 100. <laughs> now, I was a youth pastor, so the nearest 100 could have been the whole checking account at the time. And so I said, innocently, well, how much money are we, you know, needing to be reconciled? She said $1.31. Now, some of you just thought my wife is crazy, and some of you just thought, well, I understand that, right? Because you're more like my wife. So I did what any loving first-year husband would do. I went into the bedroom. I took out a dollar and 31 cents, and I put it on the table. Now, how do you think that worked that night? Now, sleeping on the couch for my first time wasn't all that bad because guys, you know, think about it's like camping, okay? And then I realized I needed to embrace her difference. I needed to, to you know, we had, a, we had a problem. We brought tension because she was still doing that. You know what? She keeps a great checkbook. Why am I trying to change her? See? And so we had to turn it to a, a we, and I had to res assume responsibility that if that's what she wants to do, then fantastic. That's what she's doing. I didn't need to change her. Why are we always trying to change each other? You know, I mentioned at the marriage conference, you point a finger at anybody you're in conflict with, there are three fingers pointing back at you. I can't do anything about her wanting to do the dollar thirty-one cents. In fact, you know, now I think it's kind of cute. Okay? I didn't then. See? We moves to connection. So now you're not winning or losing. 
you're having kind of more of a sense of well-being because you connected over the problem. You, don't, you could even still disagree with the problem, but you're connected. So you're more connected with your children. You're more connected with your grandchildren. If you're married, you're more connected with your spouse because literally you're having a we experience as opposed to the blame-shame game, and that results in what we call authentic oneness, that's what the scripture talks about, and feeling loved. And when you feel loved, you feel connected, your communication is better. See? So words matter and actions matter. And sometimes you just approach the same problem differently And the result is much, much better. One result gives you regret and a brokenness in the relationship, and and the other result brings you authentic oneness and actually a joy in a relationship. And some of us are still, honestly, we're still trying to change our spouse. It's a waste of time. We're still trying to change a kid. It's a waste of time. You can pray for change, and God is there very present. But when we accept someone for who they are, and we accept their personality, or we accept even their sinfulness, frankly, and pray that God does a work because it's God's job more than it's our job. Kathy has said for me, to me for years, we have a Messiah. He's doing very well. Don't replace him. And that deals with busyness. That deals with my relationship with her. It deals with my relationship with my kids. So kind of a simple message today, hope that moves. See, we need to have hope in our relationships. Now, each week, I've been, I watch what this series is going to be. It's going to be an amazing series. But in it, we need hope. How do you get hope in relationships? You get hope in relationships by being intentional about it and continuing to work on it and not giving up, even though you may be heartbroken. Every one of you in a relationship right now are heartbroken. I am. About people who have not gone the way that I hoped they'd gone or a brother who's ill, who has cancer. I'm going to be sitting by him uh, on Wednesday at his surgery, bladder cancer coming back for the second time. It's not a great story. And yet, at the same time, for me to, to communicate with this brother of mine, I've got to be intentional about it. Okay? And there's different styles and different ways. Now, the other thing that's interesting, and I, I actually wish there was, there was more time on this because I really want you to think about this, is the scripture says in the third point, that a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And then this is the scripture. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Do you know that for most of us as Christians, the least developed area of intimacy and connection is spiritual? I know we're in church. And so you have a desire to grow in your relationship with God, but the fact again is, in our relationships, and I see this with pastors, I see this with people in the church, I see this with so many people. The least developed area of intimacy, the least developed area of connection is the spiritual relationship. We miss that. But the scripture talks about connection. In fact, it says what God has joined together, let no one separate. God brought you that child who's walked away from faith. God brought you that spouse who isn't perfect. And yet there are some things we can do. This is amazing I was sitting where you're sitting, and there was a man named Dr. David Stoop speaking at one of the Homeward uh, events that we do. And he's been a hero and a mentor of mine for a long time. He's a Christian leader and a Christian uh, uh, marriage expert. He's in his late 70s now. And he stood here at the, right here, and Kathy and I are sitting right there. I just introduced him as one of my heroes. And he said, I want to tell you about a study at Cornell University that just came out. He said the divorce rate today in America is somewhere around 50%. And what we, last year we had 2.1 million marriages and we had uh, 1 million divorces. So it's somewhere in that there's some good news. It's getting better, especially among Christians. I mean, it's an interesting study. 
But basically what he said was it's, it's 50%. He said, however, at Cornell University, now remember, that's not a Christian university. But at Cornell University, that couples who prayed together on a daily basis, it was one out of 1,100. We would need counseling. Now again, I don't think there's a magic wand about prayer, but I find that when couples connect spiritually... But interestingly enough, there are 65% of the kids who will graduate from a great church like this in high school, and they won't be at church in September because that's what the statistic tells us. It's a stain in the world of what we do in family ministry and in youth ministry. However, there is a 300% better chance if there are faith conversations and prayer in the home with their kids. So what it looks like to me is that we've got to get serious about spiritual growth. We've got to lean into that. Kids who are growing spiritually get better grades. Kids who are growing spiritually have less sexual promiscuity. Kids who are growing spiritually. These are kids who, get, uh, who also have, do less drug and alcohol use and abuse. Marriages that are growing spiritually are much more connected. In fact, marriages that are growing spiritually oftentimes have even better physical intimacy. Studies show this. So what we're called to do is be men and women who work on our relationships. And you might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm old. Great, keep working. You might be saying, well, you know, I'm new to a relationship. Good. Work it right this time. You might say, well, you know what, I'm a widow or a widower. Okay, you've got relationships. And so the point being is that if we want to do relationships right and we want to have hope, with the people who we love most, and even with our God, then it's important for us to lean into that. Persevere. I read the New Yorker magazine, which I don't even take, but I read this story and it caught my attention. I think it was in the... I was getting my hair cut, and I was at Supercuts, and it takes four minutes to get my hair cut. <laughs> and I got into this article, and so I asked the person, I said, is there any way I could take this... this magazine home, and I promise you I'll bring it back. And they looked at me like, what kind of weirdo are you? So I, I didn't steal it. So I, I did take it, and I actually made a photocopy and brought it back. But it was about a woman who had had an affair. And she had two kids, and she was very blunt. This is not a Christian story. It's not a Christian magazine. But she said, you know, the affair was the best intimacy in her mind. She used the word intimacy. I think it was a false intimacy. But, you know, it was, you know, lights, fireworks, amazing. She even went into the details of that. And she said, then uh, it, my husband found out about it, and so we, we divorced, and the kids went with my husband. Actually, everybody kind of went against me. And then she took us back to her, oh, maybe a year later, to her parents' 50th wedding anniversary. She said it was an amazing event. She was there, her kids were there, and actually her ex-husband was there, who was kind of the hero. So the husband was more involved in the, the joy and the celebration of someone, you know, being married for 50 years. Is there anybody here who's been married for 50 years? Look at, look, oh my gosh. That's the miracle right there. Congratulations, honestly. Well, yeah, thank you for clapping. And she, she was sitting by herself because her kids were on grandma and grandpa's laps and the, even her husband, ex-husband was more involved. And she said, what, what was the secret to this? What caused this? She said, my parents didn't have a passionless marriage, but they didn't have what I had with my ex-lover. Notice I said ex-lover. And then she remembered. It was the promise that they made to each other 50 years ago in sickness and in health. It was the perseverance. It was the hope that moved them to 50 years. 
We can roll up our sleeves. We can do better. God shows us how in the scripture. Almighty God, thank you for these men and women. Thank you for this time. Thank you for this church that cares deeply for relationships. And we pray, God, even now, that if there's somebody in our mind that we're to connect with relationally, that you would give us the hope and, yes, the nudge to make the right decision. If there's somebody who, in our lives, they're broken, I pray, God, that you would give us the nudge to, to mend that and to take the high road. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.